morning, everyone. It's good to see you. It's good to be back with you on Sunday morning, spending time together looking at God's Word and having fellowship together, worship, worshiping together. I'm going to ask you, if you would, to take your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 15, and we're going to look at verses 11 through 32 for our scripture reading today. Luke chapter 15. 11 to 32. Now, you know, in this passage, in this chapter, there are three parables. The parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost sons. And so we're going to look at the third parable, which we call the parable of the prodigal son, or sons. So let me begin reading at verse 11 of chapter 15 of Luke. And he said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. And he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving him anything to eat. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him. <clears throat> and he ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead, and he's come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. <clears throat> but he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours. And yet you've never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, You've always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. 
but we had to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live he was lost and has been found this is God's word let's bow and pray together father we thank you that we can come today and we can come look again at your word that we can trust that you will open to us you will open it up to us that you'll open the eyes of our understanding that you'll give us insight and understanding of this text and that your Holy Spirit will make the applications to our heart we pray that you'd be with us in in our time of worship and prayer and study and we ask this in Christ's mighty name amen you know when we come we've been in Luke for the last two Sundays we looked at Luke chapter 14 last week and we're here in Luke 15 today and when you come to Luke and you see these parables, uh, this parable, of course, is one of the most famous of all. It's the one that we call the parable of the prodigal son or the parable of the prodigal sons because both of them are in, in the spotlight. Both the sons are in the spotlight. But when you look at it, not only are, are both sons in the spotlight to focus on, but we also see the, the beauty and the love of the Father. Now, if you look with me like we looked at this first few verses, in, in verse 11 of Luke 15 it says, A man had two sons. Now that reminds me of another place where Jesus started off in the same way. In Matthew chapter 21, I'm going to read you verse 28, or you can turn with me if you like, Matthew 21, 28, because it says this, And what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go today into my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not, but afterward he regretted it and went. The man came to the second and said the same thing, and he answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did the will of the Father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you that the tax collectors and the prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. This, there are two parables that start off the same way. A man had two sons. It sounds awfully familiar because Jesus is starting off in a similar way and it's kind of interesting that the two the two stories have similar threads in them because if you notice in the first one uh, the son is the first son says you know he's a, he's kind of the rebellious guy but he later repents and the second son approach looks compliant and he looks like he's going to do it but he doesn't go he doesn't go into the vineyard that his father told him to go into in both these parables then, the first son approached as like the immoral and the irreligious people in the society around, around Jesus and the disciples. And the second son approached in both is like the self-righteous religious people who were the scribes, the Pharisees, uh, and the Sadducees. So you see there's kind of a similar thread that Jesus is using as he goes down as he goes down uh, this thought. And if you apply what we're seeing in Matthew to Luke, you can see that, that both of these brothers are sinful. That both of these brothers are sinful. 
You see, in the, the chief purpose of the parables is really to show us that God the Father is reaching out to those who are lost, whether they're the immoral types in society, the people that are just rebelling against God with everything in them, or whether they're the self-righteous people who go to church all the time and think they're keeping the law and doing what pleases God, but their hearts are far from Him. So you see, Jesus is telling us a story about people who are rebelling, whether they're rebelling you know, on the outside or on the inside. You see both happening here. Now, this is not a pretty picture when we go back to Luke chapter 15. This is not a pretty picture because it starts off by showing the sin and the hatred and basically the idolatry and greed of this younger son. The younger son comes to his father and he says, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. <clears throat> now, when do you get your inheritance? You don't get it when your father's alive. You get it when they read the will. You know, when they read the will, then they disperse the estate. The estate is not dispersed until the, the will is active and it's read. And then it says, I leave to my first son this. I leave to my second son this. I leave to my family this. This is how it works normally, isn't it? But this guy comes along and he says, okay, <clears throat> I want what's coming to me now. I want it now because I'm tired of living here. I'm tired of being under the thumb of the family. And I don't want to keep the rules anymore. And I want my money and I want to be gone. He sounds pretty rough, doesn't he? He's, what he's saying is very insulting. I mean, we, we don't see it as much in our culture, but think back to the days in which Jesus was living, a very traditional society where the head of the family was the head of the family, and he ran everything. He ran the estate. He oversaw the lives of the sons. The sons did what he told them. They did that, and only if they complied would they be rewarded with, with responsibility and with income and things like that. You know, what, what this young man was saying when he came to his dad was, Dad, give me my money now because I'm tired of waiting for you to die. So not only is he disrespectful, but he is being cruel. He is being uh, everything wrong that we can think about in society. He says, I want everything now, and I don't care about you, and I wish you were dead so I could get my money and get on with my life. Now, some of the commentators say that, <clears throat> that a guy like this should have been met with... Um, with severe discipline, that he should have been beaten and run off, that he should have been um, beaten and sent away for his disrespect. In that culture, the father of the family was the absolute ruler, and if they disrespected him and if they broke his laws, they could be run off and sent away. It's, it's like this in, in the Muslim culture today. Uh, in West Africa, when I worked over there for with Mission to the World for 11 years. The father of the family was the absolute ruler. One of my friends was a man by the name of Abu Kamara, and Abu became a believer. He became a Christian while he was in school. 
and he came home and he told his father about it. And his father was the absolute ruler of the family. He called all the family together. And he said, tomorrow we're going to have a service. He invited 90 of the relatives together. And when he got them all together, he said to them, we are going to cut this man off. We're going to cut this my son off. We're not going to have anything to do with him. We're not going to feed him. We're not going to give him a place to sleep. We're not going to hire him. We're not going to give him anything. He's dead to us. The absolute father cut him off. You see, that's how it is in these traditional cultures where the father of the household, the, the head of the family, controls everything. This young man was asking for something so wrong and so disrespectful that he could have been beaten and run off and cut off completely. But he wasn't. Because the father did something completely unexpected. The father comes along and he doesn't uh, run the boy off. But instead, he goes out to make arrangements to sell part of what he has in order to give this young man his part of the estate. Now, you remember the way things worked. The way things worked was the oldest son got two-thirds. He, he got twice what any of the other inheritors would get. So since there were only two sons... This young man, the first son, the oldest son, gets two-thirds of the estate. The youngest boy gets one-third of the estate. But they are not banks. This is, there's no CDs out there. There's no retirement account. So for the father of the family to get one-third of the estate, he has to sell land and he has to sell livestock. So he has to impoverish himself and his family to meet this young man's demands. He has to, he has to sell off one, some of his land or, or a, a lot of his livestock so he can give this young man what he's asking for. Now, the father did that. He promised his son the share, and he gave it to him, and he did it by selling off things in the estate. Now you can see why the older brother would hate the younger brother. You can tell at the very end of the chapter <clears throat> he's pretty hard on him. You can tell why. Because dad had to sell so much of the estate to pay him off to get rid of him for him to leave and to go live on his own. He had to pay him off. Well, that impoverished the whole estate, which means that the older son is being impoverished to some degree by, by part of the estate being sold off. It doesn't get the gain that it would have had. The animals and all the other things, the livestock, are diminished because of what this boy has done. Now, this shows you what the heart of the younger son is like. He is selfish. He is idolatrous, he's disrespectful, he has no concern for his father. And then it says that as soon as he gets his, as soon as he gets his money from his father, he leaves. He packs his bag, throws everything he wants to take into his bag, and he takes off. And he leaves and he gets as far away as he can. It would be like someone from Charleston, South Carolina moving to Los Angeles, California. He's going to get as far away from his family as he can possibly get 
He's going to go a long way off, and he's going to stay away, and he's going to live like he wants to, and he's going to thumb his nose at everybody else. So that's what happened to him. He takes off. Well, when he first leaves, he thinks this is great because what happens is, of course, he's living large. He goes to the finest hotel. He takes the biggest suite. He stays there, you know. He's ordering the finest food. He's buying presents for all of his new friends that he never sees again after his money's gone. He's having a big time, and he uses up his money. He's spending his money on food and, and prostitutes and living large in the hotel, and everything is happy as long as his money lasted. But then his money runs out. And it's interesting that Jesus, when he tells the parable, says, as soon as his money ran out, <coughs> a famine came. Now, you know, we think the economy is bad, don't we? I mean, we think the economy is bad when it goes down, the stock market goes down 12%. Well, this guy's lost everything he had, and then a famine hits, and he's got nothing, and there's very little food. The only job he can find is a job where he is actually serving pigs. He is feeding pigs. And, of course, for a Jew to feed an unclean animal like the pigs, that's, that's one of the worst jobs he can imagine. And so he's personally at rock bottom. And when he's at rock bottom, all of a sudden, it says, he comes to his senses. He said to himself, well, how many of my father's household, how many of the people that actually work for my dad, how many of them have more than I have? And he says, you know, my father's servants have an abundance, and I'm dying here in this famine. I know what I will do. I'll go home. I will get up and I'll go to my father and I will say, Father, I have sinned against heaven in your sight and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Make me like one of the employees. Now, the hired servants were like, like the day workers, the people that came in every day and worked on the estate. So he's saying... I know that I don't belong in the family anymore. I know that I can't expect to be received back as a son. So I, all I want is if you would accept me like you, and treat me like you treat one of your day workers, like somebody that comes in and cleans the house or somebody that works with the animals. He wanted, he wanted to live like that. Now, if you think about it, this is quite a change. This is quite a change from the, the guy that took all the money and left and went as far away as he could. He's really changed. Because now he's saying, you know, before he hated his life at home, he wanted all the freedom he could get away from his family. He wanted to live just to please himself. He didn't care about anybody. And all he wanted was just to please his senses. He was impatient and disrespectful. But now it seems that he's changed. He's come to his senses. He saw that he sinned against God. He said, I know that I've sinned against heaven. That's the oblique way, you know, of saying I've sinned against God. I've sinned against God's kingdom, against God's rule. And he said, and I've sinned against you, Father. 
And he realized that he had no claim to being in the family anymore, but he just said, make me like one of your day laborers. And he even seems to be implying that he's willing to work and to pay back the family for what he's unjustly spent, for, for what he has done in, in living such a lifestyle. Now, you and I, if we looked at this from the outside, I think we would have to say that this looks like, very clearly, like repentance. It looks like the repentance that we would expect from somebody who was really changed on the inside as well as on the outside. It seems like this is true repentance because he's not just sad that he's broke and dirty and hungry, but he seems genuinely sad that and sees that all of a sudden his sin is against God and man. And he knows he deserves the lowest place. He's not an owner anymore. He doesn't deserve the place of, of an owner, of a, an inheritor of the estate. I don't know if you think about it, if you thought about repentance like this before, but I want you to see that repentance is truly a gift of God. You think about how repentance is a gift of God. That God is the one. We don't just come to our senses. A guy like that doesn't just come to his senses and change. Um, now, we all know how to do surface repentance. We know how to get back into the good graces of people that we've offended. We know how to go to people and say, Oh, I, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. Uh, can we get back like we were before? You know, the person that goes into the, the big store and goes into Belk's or Dillard's or Macy's and they go in and they steal some stuff and they stick it in their pocketbook or they stick it in their backpack or they stick it in their shirt and carry it out and then they get caught. They're probably sad that they got caught. They're sad that they had to go to the law. They're sad that they had to be fingerprinted and have their picture taken and get their name in the paper and be, you know, humiliated. They can, we, can be, we can do surface repentance, you know, where we're sorry we got caught. But what about the bigger picture, the bigger picture of true repentance, of repentance from the heart? You see, that just doesn't happen. It happens only when God gives it to us, when God works in us. Have you thought about your own life? If you're a believer, have you thought about the time, about how, what your life was like before and then what God did in changing you? Have you thought how he convinced you of your own sinfulness, of your own heart that was wayward from him and how he turned you to look to him and to find that in him was forgiveness and grace? You know, we, we don't really come to God until we understand how much we need him, how much we need a change, how much we need to repent and to be saved. Well, you know, this man, this repentance seems real. It seems like true repentance. And true repentance comes from that deep place in the soul where God works in us. And it's a gift of God to us. Repentance and faith, turning to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the miracle of God's wonderful work in us. Now, this parable outlines clearly the sin and the hatred and the idolatry of the younger son, but it also pictures the love and the grace 
of the Father. You know, the truth is that the main character that we see over and over again, the one that comes into focus, the one that Jesus points all this attention to, is this marvelous, gracious love of the Father. Because we see the Father and how He responds to these two sons, both rebelling in different ways. Jesus is <clears throat> talking about He's talking about, basically, he's picturing the two sides of society. The immoral side, the people that are living to please themselves, the people who have no thought for God, the people that want to live like the younger son lived. Or, on the other hand, the self-righteous people, the people that went to church all the time, the people that read their Bible all the time, the people that read the law all the time, and the people that thought, yeah, I've been good enough, God owes me a good life, because I've been good to him, so he's got to be good to me. He's got to take care of everything I ask him. So you see, both of those people don't love God for himself. They love God for what he can give them. The immoral people think nothing of God. They don't want to have anything to do with it. The self-righteous people say, well, God owes me a good life because I've lived for him. So he, he has to answer my prayers. He has to be my servant. They don't want God for himself. They want God for what he can give them. So Jesus is addressing both crowds in the, in the, in the group around him. He's both aspects of the people who are there. Jesus told this parable to the people who never went to church and lived openly sinful lives, and he told the parable to the people who always went to church and thought that they lived perfectly before God. Jesus told both groups about his Father. Now what's he telling them? What's he telling them about God the Father? What is God the Father like? Well, God the Father is like the Father in the parable. Because the Father in the parable is the one who is patient, and he is loving this, these wayward sons and he's calling both of those wayward sons to himself. When the younger son comes home, he runs out to meet him, he grabs him, he kisses him, and he gives him this extravagant welcome. That was unexpected. The younger boy didn't think that. You know, the father could have been bitter against the son the father could have stood in his house every day thinking about how the son had impoverished him, had embarrassed him, had messed up his rule over the family. He could have been bitter and, and so angry at this boy that he would never accept him back. The father in the parable could have looked at the older son, and when the older son said, no, I'm not coming into the party for that, son of yours who's wasted the whole estate on riotous living. No, I'm never coming in to be part of that party. I'm not having anything to do with a guy like that. The father has to leave the party and humiliate himself in the sense of going out to his son who won't come in, and he has to go out to his son, and he has to beg him to come in. He has to beg him to come in. He says, Son, everything I have is yours. The whole estate was going to go to that older son now because the two-thirds that were left all belonged to him. He said, everything I have is yours. 
And we had to do this because your son who was lost, my son who was lost is saved. He's come home. The parable tells us what the father is like. The parable tells us how the father welcomes the wayward, whether they're the, the, uh, the unrighteous ones or the righteous ones, the ones that live the righteous outward lives. He could have been angry at both, but he welcomes them. He calls them both to come into the feast, to come into the feast of the kingdom, in a sense. Here's Jesus calling both the immoral and the self-righteous to come into his kingdom. Here's Jesus telling them that the Father will receive them if they will repent and come in. The father of the parable, you know, didn't just reject his son and beat him like some people said, but he looked for him every day and he waited for him and he ran to him and he kissed him and he accepted him. You know, when the son apologized publicly and repented, the father accepted that repentance. In fact, he doesn't even let him quit. He doesn't even let him finish, does he? He doesn't even let him finish. He says, bring in the robe, bring in the signet ring, which, you know, the robe means we're going to cover him up. We're going to cover up these filthy clothes. We're going to give him one of my robes, a robe that symbolizes family and acceptance. The signet ring, which was the ring that you used when you, when you officially stamped a deed or a, you signed a deal with it. This was the one that showed ownership in the estate. He's giving the son not the place, the lowest place as the day laborer, but he's restoring him to the place of sonship. He's giving him a place in the estate where he belongs and he's showing that he's not just a slave, but he wears the robes, he wears the ring, he's gonna have new sandals on his feet, he's gonna be accepted back into the family. In verse 22, it even says, you know, here's the ring, here's the robe, here's the acceptance. The ring, the shabby clothes were covered. So he's back in the family. The ring showed that he was sealing documents. He was part of the ownership of the family. And the father rejoiced so much that he gave his son this extravagant party. Now, the party was extravagant because, you know, this is a culture that doesn't eat a lot of meat. The average person didn't eat meat very often because meat was to sell. It was what you kept and you raised and then you sold it so that you could get money to live. Meat was something that they did more rarely, that they ate more rarely. And uh, when he says, kill the fat, fattened calf, the one that they've been saving for a special celebration, he said, when you kill that, that was enough meat to serve a whole village of 75 to 100 people. So what he was doing was he was taking the best thing that he had and he was giving it to receive this son back into the family. He was having a party where he's going to invite the whole village. And the whole village is going to come know that he's accepted this wayward son back into his family because he's come and he's receiving him back. He held this elaborate celebration. I mean, this was the, the great banquet, the one where it, it's a reminder again of the great banquet of the kingdom, that sinners like us can come in, that we can be welcomed, that it doesn't matter what our former status was, that whether we were irreligious and immoral 
or whether we were religious and our hearts were far from God. He says you can become, you can be accepted, you can be welcomed. This is the extravagant love of the Father that he has for his sons who have been wayward and lost. Now, remember that in Luke chapter 15, there's three parables. The first two parables, in those first two parables, the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin, there was somebody who went looking for the lost sheep. There was somebody that went looking for that lost coin. But in the third parable, there's nobody that went out looking. Why did Jesus tell that third parable like that? Jesus told that third parable like that because Jesus is the true elder brother. As the true elder brother, what does he do? He goes out looking for the lost. Jesus is the true elder brother who left heaven for us. He's the true elder brother who entered into a life of suffering for us. He endured hunger and thirst for us. He endured the terrible things of living in a sinful world like ours. Can you imagine what his righteous soul went through when he saw all that we were doing to this world that he created? He suffered for us. He suffered the hatred of the world for us. And he finally suffered the humiliation and pain of the cross for us. What was worse, of course, was that he suffered the pain of being separated from his father and being forsaken. He was forsaken for us. He endured everything so that we who trust in him could have the welcome of the Father, so that we could understand what that welcome was like, so that we could see that welcome was a welcome to the family. It was a welcome that we are adopted children. As many as received him, to them gave he the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe on his name, John 1, 12. That we are welcomed into the family, that we are welcomed as sons and daughters, that we are welcomed and rejoiced over by our Father who has taken care of the debt of our sins because our good elder brother, our faithful and righteous elder brother, has paid the debt for us. Our debts are gone. Our forgiveness has been taken care of at great cost to our loving and gracious Father. Let's bow and pray. Father, we thank you for the parable that Jesus told us about you. We thank you for loving us like this, such an extravagant way, in such a way that takes care of our sins and our needs, that covers them with your righteousness, that covers them with the righteousness of Christ, a righteousness outside of ourselves that he has purchased for us and paid for with his own blood. Father, we pray that you will be with us that we will live lives faithful to you, that we'll come like the younger son, that we'll come in repentance and faith, that we'll come daily loving you and thanking you for the gifts and the graces and the mercy that you've given us, and that we will extend to others the same mercy that you have extended to us. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior and King, we pray. Amen. We're going to take our hymnals, and we're going to turn to number 455.